Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you, as always, from Out of Ashes Ministries in southwest Louisiana. And I hope that you are doing extraordinarily well. I hope that your Shabbat was great and your week is going well. And uh, I just want to say welcome to this episode. We've got a really interesting one, I hope. <laughs> interesting for me, I hope interesting for you. So if it's your first time swinging by, I just want to say thank you guys for stopping and listening. Thanks, big thanks to Hebrew Nation, as always, Rollin and all the guys and gals that make this thing happen uh, for providing such a great platform for such incredible teachers. So thank you guys and uh, for you for listening. If you've listened for a while, then thanks for coming back. Thanks for being a part of an awesome, the awesome community that you guys are helping to build. And uh, if you're not sure what the Image Bears Radio is about, uh, this is a show about uh, at looking at scripture from a bunch of different angles and being uh, willing and giving ourselves and each other permission to ask hard questions and try to mine the scripture for all the truth that is there because there's so much there. We never will, you know, it's a fool's errand to think that we have all, have the corner on all the truth. And uh, so we look at Jewish scholarship and, and the sages, rabbinic commentary. We look at Christian scholarship in common. We look at all kind of different stuff and uh, just give ourselves permission to explore the landscape that is uh, the scriptures. And uh, so thank you guys for being along for the ride. Just one quick update of housekeeping. Uh, some of you have uh, chimed in, emailed, called, text, whatever, and asked about Sukkot. Uh, yes, Sukkot, it doesn't look like it's going to be, you know, it doesn't look like it's very close, but it is. It's extremely close, uh, especially when we get into Elul and the 40 days of Shiva and then uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then all of a sudden it's here. And if we wait till Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah to uh, start preparing for Sukkot, we're late. So uh, so start now getting your plans. So those of you that have uh, uh, asked about Sukkot. Yes, we are doing an OAM Sukkot here. Uh, it is very small, uh, and, and we like it that way. And so we have a schedule. We have registration information and all that stuff. That is going to be going on our website. Uh, and by the time you're hearing this on Wednesday, uh, it should be on the website, and there will be links posted on our Facebook page, and uh, so you can check them out there. And uh, it's really simple, doesn't cost you anything except your own stuff, you know, whatever you're doing. Uh, and so all the information will be there on the website. And so watch Facebook for that. Make sure you're following us on Facebook uh, if you're interested. I'm super excited. We've already got folks coming from uh, Washington State and Colorado all the way down to Louisiana. That's insane. It's awesome. So we're really looking forward to Sukkot this year. And uh, if you are interested, uh, then, uh, you know, give us a, a shout, contact us and let us know. And we would love to host you guys for Sukkot, spend some time with you, get to know you, uh, and all of that goodness. So uh, before we get into this week's episode, as is our custom, as we usually do, let us go to the Father for a quick word of prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, Avinu Shabbat we are so incredibly grateful and thankful for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for some time to get into your word and to talk about different issues. And Father, I pray that as we do that, you would mold us and shape us into better bearers of your image in our everyday life and our everyday world. everybody. So this week, for this week's show, we are actually going to be in Parshat Korach, uh, but we're going to start in Parshat Shelach, in last week's Parsha, uh, to get us to this week's Parsha. Um, because there's some interesting things that I want to bring up and uh, a, an interesting thread that I want to uh, that I want to talk about. So uh, last week's partial was shelach, which is send, right? Or shelach lecha. Sometimes you'll see it, send for yourself, or if you please, as the uh, stone editions uh, say. And I found some interesting uh, commentary, rabbinic commentary, on Parsha shelach that actually brings us back to Bereshit, to Genesis. And I want to talk a little bit about that, and then I want to move forward then ahead to Korach, because I think... Uh, it all ties in together. I think it's important. And I think given uh, where we are, you know, it's always interesting to me that the Torah portions that, you know, the Torah was written so many years ago, uh, you know, and of course it is an, is an ancient, ancient document. And being its age, and then the divisions of the Parsha came, of course, much later. And even those divisions, it seems like they still they still resonate so incredibly well with where we are today. And, you know, the fact that really humanity doesn't change a whole bunch, patterns and habits and, you know, passions and desires and things don't change a whole bunch. I think it's, it always amazes me. I don't know why it does, but it always amazes me when a part, when a Parsha just like goes, wow, are they, you know, is the scripture commenting on today? Um, and of course, I don't think it is in the, in the original sense, but of course, it's always full of wisdom for today. So, um, so I want to start out in, uh, Bamidbar Numbers chapter 13. And then we'll move ahead to, uh, we'll move actually back to Bereshit, to Genesis 6. So if you're at home or whatever, and you can do this, kind of put your fingers in those places. And then we're going to go forward to Parsha Korach. All right, everybody with me? All right, cool, let's go. So uh, in Bamidbar's chapter 13, in Numbers chapter 13, we have, of course, the command to send the spies. Now, this is, there's a lot of questions around this portion, portion of Scripture that we're not going to get into. Uh, we could spend hours upon hours upon hours, and both uh, Jewish and Christian commentary has done so. So if you're interested in what the whole spy thing is about, then, you know, knock yourself out. There, there's a, literally a feeding frenzy to be had on uh, different opinions about the spies and all. And uh, But I want to read just the first few verses. It says in chapter 13, again, of Bamidbar, verse 1, it says, So Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Send forth men, if you please, or for yourself, and let them spy out the land of Canaan that I give to the children of Israel, one man from each... Uh, one, man, uh, one man each, excuse me, from his father's tribe shall you send, everyone a leader among them. So let's stop right there. Now, I want to take just a moment... To this is really important to establish this. Um, when I read scripture, and I've done this ever since I was a kid, 
Uh, it's just my, I'm a very visual learner. So when I read something, anytime I read anything, I have to make a picture out of it in my mind in order to connect what's going on on the, in the words and the text to, you know, what, what's trying to be relayed. And it doesn't mean my word, you know, my, my pictures, my mental pictures are very accurate. <laughs> a lot of times they aren't. Uh, but in the case of Scripture, as I study Scripture more, they get more and more accurate, hopefully. Uh, or that's, the, you know, that's what we're shooting for, right? Uh, but when I have pictured this idea of the spies, you know, we have Yehoshua and Kalev, Joshua and Caleb, or Hosea and Caleb, uh, Kalev, and, and like that's the two that we focus on, right? Well, Joshua, because we know more about him because he gets, you know, like a whole book. Uh, Kalev actually gets a lot of play in Scripture. We just don't, um, we don't really know how to follow it. Um, and then you have 10 others, 10 other spies. And as a kid and then even into adulthood, my, and even today, let's just be honest. Um, when I think about the 12 spies that are sent, I, I have a picture kind of in my head of a distinct Joshua and Caleb kind of standing out front or enlarged. And then there's just this kind of group of 10 uh, nameless, faceless people. And I don't guess it was ever really, no one ever said this, I don't guess, but in my mind, I, I guess I always thought of these 10 other spies as like, I don't know, like, like Moshe and his, you know, and some, some uh, judges or some other, you know, high ranking people were walking through the camp of Israel and, you know, they're like, oh, well there, you know, there's uh there's Jimmy, he's not doing much today, let's take him. And then uh, there's Tommy Fred. He's not doing much. Let's take him. And uh, oh, Steve over there. Let's grab him. And just kind of, like, it's just a, a nameless, faceless group of ten people. Um, either that, or the 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 tribes, the congregation is standing before Moshe, and he goes, you know, who's going to volunteer to go? And everybody takes a step back, but one person. You know, that person gets volunteered. Have you ever had that happen to you before? Um, so, I, you know, in any way that I've ever pictured this, I don't think has been accurate. And maybe for you, it's been the same. Maybe you're like, come on, get to the good stuff because this is dumb. I don't know. But uh, this is really important for me. Um, it, it's specifically the princes are the leaders are the heads of the tribes. And I just that strikes me so, so, so powerfully, um, you know, in verse in verse two. It says, everyone a leader among them. And, and that word leader, some translations will have princes. Uh, you know, everyone a prince among them. So who are these princes over the tribes? Well, some commentary tells us that these were likely and very well could have been uh, the Hebrew taskmasters that the Egyptians placed over the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. So why is that important? Well, for me, that's important because... It gives a a, a a lineage, right, and a history there. So these are uh, Hebrew men who it were were the the buffer zone, let's say, between the Egyptian slave masters and the Hebrew people. They were they were the maybe the strongest, the healthiest, the maybe the most educated, whatever it would be. But somehow they rose to the top to be. The, the ones that actually communicated with the Hebrews and, and lived with them and led them so that the Hebrews would not revolt against Egypt, right? Um, you always take one from among them and, you know, and to, to make sure that you have that buffer zone there. 
but as the as the Hebrew you know taskmasters, they also having a great love for their people and wanting to salvage as much you know heritage as they can. They also would have uh, tried to lessen the impact of the workload and the the prejudice and the oppression and the minimalization from the Egyptian uh, on their people, right? So these, when it talks about the princes of the tribes, these are these are people that the 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 people of Israel, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, have a history with. They are not just some nameless, faceless people. They are to us because we don't connect with these stories, right? Because for the Jewish people, these are their ancestors. These is you know aunt and uncle and grandfather and cousin and whatever. And for for us, it's stories, and that's a sad thing. And and I I wish we could work to to connect a little bit more. And that's why that is why we do all the history and context and culture and language and all the all the studying and all the mining that we do in Scripture is to try to connect better, right? So that this story can become our story as much as much as possible. And so there is a history with these people, given if if that is given true that the the leaders of the tribes were indeed you know taskmasters uh, in Egypt. Um, there is there are there's a history there and there's a connection there. These children of Israel they know these men. They know these men. They've probably been protected by these men. They they trust them. They have confidence in them. They, you know, you you never see the nation of Israel revolting against its tribal leaders. You always see in the in the wilderness in the Exodus, you always see it against Moses and Aaron, right? And so they they are there's a there's a there's an interesting bond here that's happening. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of uh, you know fidelity and loyalty to these to these men. Uh, and of course, the story goes on that and it gives their names, and I think it's important. Uh, if you want to do some some research, go back and look at their names. You'll find their names in in previous genealogies and and later genealogies, and kind of build a picture. Uh, you know, I've I've done a couple of projects where I've done uh, poster board, and I've you know done big genealogies. You know, seven, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen lines as deep as I could you know deep deep as I could find, uh, and done big family trees and you know all these charts and all this stuff just to help myself kind of get a uh, again, connect to the story a little better, but get a better picture of well, how are these people related, and who are you know who they belong to, and and to go like, oh well, they're cousins, uh, you know, or this is a nephew, or this is a, a grandfather, or you know, an uncle, or whatever, and, and that's important because I think about in my own family, um, I think about the the how close some of my uncles and uh, you know cousins i have one cousin two cousins in particular that i basically grew up with lived at, you know we lived at each other's houses we're like almost more like brothers and we i think we all have those or the majority of us have those relationships those familial relationships and it's important to transfer our closeness and how we understand that back to the scriptures so that we again have a better f- sense of what's going on, right? And so take these names that that are given, uh, and and look through the genealogies and spend some time in the genealogies. I know we don't like them, and I know Paul says something about you know avoiding you know needless talk about genealogies. I mean, his his was a different point. This is trying to get an, a context and an understanding of who we're talking about and and situating these characters and these stories in their context, right? This is not about, oh, well, I'm of so-and-so and I'm of so-and-so. That's not what this is about. This is about trying to familiarize ourselves with the story, and I think that's admirable, and I, I don't think 
the Apostle Paul would have anything to say about that, anything negative to say about that. He knew all these things already, right? This is, this is his story. Uh, so uh, I want, you know, they, of course, they go, go to the land uh, and they come back and Joshua and Caleb say, yes, we can do it. You know, and the rest of the 10 spies, uh, they have, you know, an evil, what we call an evil report. And it says we, in verse 27, uh, they reported to him, and still in chapter 13, we arrived at the land to which you sent us, and indeed it flows with milk and honey. By the way, goat's milk and date honey, not cow's milk and bee honey, just as a reference point. Uh, and this is its fruit, verse 28. But the people that dwells in the land is powerful. The cities are fortified and very great. And we also, before we go, we go to the offspring of the giant, the, the land, the people that are there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very great. So here's, it's just a, a fun fact. I don't know if you've ever done any research on Jericho, right? The second chapter of the book of Joshua. Um, but recently, uh, I'm going to say recently, the last couple years, uh, listening to actually some Christian scholars talk about Jericho. And why the Battle of Jericho is such a big deal. I mean, think about all of the traction in Christianity that, in the church, that maybe you learned that Jericho, the story of Jericho has, right? In VBS, you marched around the walls, right? You probably did plays and sang songs and did skits about, you know, the Battle of Jericho, et cetera, et cetera, and all that. And there's some archaeology that has come out, you know, in the last several years. And really, the, they say that, you know, when you picture the when you close your eyes and picture that story of Jericho, how do you picture Jericho? Most of us picture it, you know, as a huge, massive city with these massive walls and all this stuff. And archaeologists tell us that the city of Jericho, the walled part of Jericho, is probably was was likely only like two city blocks large. So for those of you that don't live in the city, but you've been to the city, that's not very big. You know, so again, we think about this idea of like, oh my gosh, it's huge, right? The city of Jericho is massive uh, and these massive walls. And like the reason why the story is important is because the Israelites could not take Jericho. God had to do it instead because they were impossible of doing it. Well, if the fact is that Jericho is really just that small, number one, it tells us about the landscape, the demographic landscape of the land of Canaan in their time. Um, we think of Canaan maybe as being, you know, ma- vastly populated. I mean, heck, all we're talking about all these nations, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the, you know, the Kenizzites, the Kenites, the, all these different families and, and nations. The land of, Can- land of Canaan must have been massively populated. But if one of the major cities of Jericho is only a couple city blocks, it tells you that it probably wasn't as populated. There's not a lot of humanity taking up this space, right? So that's a, that's an interesting thing. And secondly, if it's only that small, the nation of Israel, even if the numbers given in Scripture are a little exaggerated for storytelling purposes, even if there's less Israelites of fighting age men of fighting age than the story tells us, they should have been able to take Jericho like in their sleep. So what is the point of the story then? Well, the point of the story is that this is their first entrance into the land, and God wants to make sure that Joshua understands that they are going to do things God's way. They're going to do things God's way 
or they're going to do things God's way. One or the other, but ultimately they're going to do things his way. And that's the only way to victory. And we see then preceding stories in the book of Joshua where they don't do things his way, and we see how that works out, right? So you have you have this, this ethic being established right as they enter into the land. So it's, it's interesting uh, in that sense. But it goes back to their statement that they make here that, you know, the cities are massive and they're fortified, right? So we're... I'm a firm believer in never doing psychology on biblical authors because it's dangerous, I think, and it's impossible. Um, but th- this story, I think, is like is asking for you to psychoanalyze um, these these spies because uh, just of some of the things that are said, and we'll get to that in a second. So um, they say they're very great. And then finishing verse 28, it says, and we also saw there the offspring of the giant. And then it talks about Amalek and the Jebusite, Hittite, Amorite, right, on the bank of the Jordan, and the Canaanite dwells by the sea uh, on the bank of the Jordan. So we have this, this tie, this link back to the, the sons of the giant or the descendants of the giant. Well, where do we hear about the giant? Well, that's all the way back in Bereshit chapter 6, right? That's in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to read it just for funsies because there's – uh, there's some really interesting rabbinic commentary that I found uh, that lines up with some Christian scholarship that I uh, I'm aware of, and I thought it was just interesting to put the two together. So uh, we have in Bereshit chapter six, uh, verse one, it says, "And it came to pass that man began to increase upon the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, and the sons of." And then I'm going to pause there. And ask you to complete that that phrase. And the sons of, most of you probably said God, right? And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were good, and they took themselves wives from whoever they chose. And it says, and Hashem said, my spirit will not contend anymore concerning man, but his flesh, his days shall be 120 years. And it talks about the Nephilim, right? were in uh, those days and also after when the sons of the of the sons of God would consort with the daughters of men uh, who would bear to them and they were mighty who from old were men of devastation or men of renown right so this is where we get the idea of the giants and then of course we have um, the the giants of Og and Bashan Og and, and those those giants and we have the three giants that are mentioned um, so we have all this giant language. The The phrase I want to focus on, though, is not so much on the giants and the Nephilim. There's a whole other can of worms that I, I don't really feel like opening. But I want to focus on this phrase, sons of God. Now, most of your translations will say sons of God. And uh, most of you, that's, you know, that's the way that we know it. We know it as sons of God. However, the word there is Elohim, Right. The sons of B'nai Elohim is the phrase. However, Elohim can mean capital E Elohim, or or uh, or Ayan, I guess it was. Uh, can mean God, the the creator of the universe, or it can mean the gods of other nations, or it can mean mighty ones. Um, there is one. There is a particular uh, title that is given to man, a man, particular man of every nation. Uh, in the ancient world, and every and this one man was called the Son of God. Anybody know what that man, who that man is? He's the King. Why is the King called the Son of God? The King is called the Son of God 
because he is supposed to represent God, whether that be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God of that particular nation, he represents that God to the people and the people to that God. Particularly in representing the God to the people, he is their protector, and he is the one who uh, who gives them substance and makes sure there's plenty of food to eat and makes sure that there is water and there is safety from war. And there he does the things that the scripture says that God, big G God, will do for us or that tribal God will do for his people. The king manifests that he he actually enacts that stuff on behalf of the God. So I hope that's that's interesting to you. So here we have the phrase B'nai Elohim. And this, B'nai, sons of God, the Jewish commentaries, um, they do have some explanations of this being angelic beings, because that's what we usually think about, right? Who are these sons of God? Well, they're angelic beings. And and some Jewish commentary does you know, give credence to that and has some stuff to say about that. There's room for that in the opinions and, and in the, uh, the, uh, the way that they interpret it. However... The kind of leading opinion, and the one you'll find, I think, in most commentaries, has nothing to do with fallen angels. So, who are these sons of God? Well, we'll find out in the next segment. Don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bears Radio. So, we are in uh, Parsha Shalak, uh, we're in Parshat Korach via Parsha Shalak and, uh, and Bereshit uh, Genesis chapter 5, and uh, which is Parsha Noach. And so, we are talking about this phrase, sons of God. The sons of God came, right, and, and uh, had showed offspring with the daughters of men. And so who are these sons of God? Well, I, I, I really kind of surprisingly to me, uh, rabbinic, oldish, old Jewish commentary um, does not call these primarily uh, fallen angels or anything like that. These people are, are these rulers, these sons of God are rulers, are princes. This is according to Rashi and, and many around him. Uh, these are actually princes and rulers of the people. Now, this is why this is important, okay? Think about the spies, and who were they? They were princes, right? These sons of God were, if they were, and again, this lines up with Christian commentary that I'm reading along at the same, same, same clip, same time. And so it's interesting to see these, these explanations overlap. But the, the idea is that these are rulers, princes of humanity, and these sons of God, they, that's, that fits the title, right? These kings, these princes, uh, whatever. Um, what, what it seems to have, seems to be happening is there is a midrash about this in, uh, Bereshit Rabbah, in Genesis Rabbah. Uh, there's a, a midrash, um, where, uh, Rabbi Simeon Bar Yochai says that he curses anyone who calls these men children of God, or sons of God. 
And he says they ought to be understood as rulers, sons of kings and rulers, sons of princes and rulers. And he, there's a long explanation in this Midrash, and it goes on to talk about some of the things that these men were involved in. So one of the the one of the grievous things that they were involved in is they would they would they would scour the country and then their communities they would wait for a new bride of new virgin bride and this is not just Israel this is not Israel yet right this is just you know different tribes and, and and tribal families in 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 population in humanity but they would there would be a bride young virgin bride and they would they would wait until she was completely you know she had been bathed and groomed and her hair had been done and she was getting ready for her wedding her, her wedding ceremony and the day that they she was prepared and you know fragranced and all the things that they did then they would take her before the wedding and they would have relations with her and then shame her and then give her to her you know betrothed or the one that she was to marry uh, they would also take married women uh, they would, you know, just I- I young girls, even some young boys, um, and just the the sexual uh, distortion of these princes and these kings was uh, was just outrageous. And so these daughters of men are these just these women that that these kings and leaders had their way with. They could take anybody at any time, and like, who are you? You know, who are you to argue? I'm the king. I'm the prince. The son of the king. Whatever. They all, Rabbi uh, uh, Bar Yochai also goes on to talk about how there were actual written, uh, written uh, marriage licenses, co- marriage contracts uh, between same-sex couples, uh, specifically men, as well as bestiality. So there were actual written contracts uh, of marriage between a person and an animal. Now here's what what is crazy. A little aside that's crazy about this. So this in Genesis, you know, apparently takes place, you know, five thousand years ago, something like this, right? This is kind of the dawn of of creation and humanity, right? A long time ago. And the midrash on this is written about three hundred fifty or so to five hundred A.D. or C.E. Uh, after, you know, about 350, 400 years after Yeshua, which is still pretty stinking ancient. I mean, you're still talking about, you know, uh, 1800 years ago. The the thing that's interesting to that to me about that is that we get so stuck in thinking like, oh my God, the world is on fire, right? Uh, sex trafficking and, you know, you know, pedophilia and homosexuality and LGBTQA plus ABC, MOUSE, whatever. We, we, all, you know, all those things, of course, are horrific, and we don't. And I'm not making light of those things, but our reaction to them is like this has got to be the end of the world because things have never been this bad before. And my response to that way of thinking is first, like a good southerner, to say, "Well, bless your heart," and then the second is to say, "Have you ever read your Bible? <laughs> have you ever, like, have you ever checked out what actually goes on?" Listen, the when when they when they were penning scripture in the scrolls, scrolls were super expensive and ink was really expensive and it looked a, took a lot of time and effort and riches to produce these scrolls to write down the words of Hashem and the story of Israel and the prophets and all those things. And so like they're they're going to only going to include the things that are really important. 
And I think it's interesting when we read the things that they are including that are really important that we understand that this is this should be a a real wake up call to us to go like you know what humanity has been like this from the get right from the start from the beginning that that it's not like it's like you know, like I said we're not endorsing any of this behavior saying like well that's just the way humanity's always been we just have to live with it no I mean we should pray and we should you know we should stand up for what's right absolutely you know and and witness to people of course but what i'm saying is that we have to understand that we shouldn't we shouldn't lose our heads and think all hope is lost and you know everything's you know shifting now because we have these problems they are a problem that have they're a consummate human condition a human issue now what's again what the focus of this is the leaders right the leadership the rulers so we have these rulers that are are you know sexually twisted and perverted and all this stuff. And this is what causes God to step in and go, Hey, Noah, listen, I want you to build a boat, right? And cause I'm going to cleanse the earth. So what is happening is this is in some ways, uh, commiserate with, uh, ha- with temple prostitution. And you go like, wait, what, how, how did you make that leap? Okay. Here, here's how, when we talk about sacred space, right? We are told in Bereshit that, uh, that Hashem created the world, right? And in, on a certain spot on the world, we believe it's Mount Moriah, God put this place called Eden. So if we think about this in a temple understanding, then we have this idea that, well, the earth is the temple, the dwelling place of Hashem, and, the, and, and, and Gan Eden is the holy, the holy place, right? The Holy of Holies, where the tree is. And where, where, where Adam and Eve are, are priests, Adam is priest, et cetera. Okay, we've talked about this before. So what is happening when these rulers who are supposed to be representing Hashem and supposed to be teaching the people and caring for the people uh, on Hashem's behalf, what happens when they begin to get into all this sexual uh, deviancy is they are, they are desecrating God's holy sacred space. It would be it's just like if the if the priests, you know, allow temple prostitution in the temple in Jerusalem or in the tab it's the same thing with Pinchas, right? Where you have this Israelite and foreign woman that are you know, that are having relations right there in the temple and Pinchas puts a spear through both of them, he's cleansing God's sacred space. So the flood is not God going like, Oh, I'm done with these humans, I'm gonna start over. It's it's that these rulers have desecrated, they are given the responsibility to keep and guard his sacred space, and they have desecrated that responsibility through their sexual deviancy, and so he's cleansing the temple, his house. Okay, I hope that makes sense, because this could be like a two or three hour thing, but I want, it, I want to move forward. So so that's that's the thing about the, the flood and, and, and on all that, and the rulers, right? It, it's, let me just say this, it is... You know, if you want to go the fallen angel route, and I know, you know, people that I know, and you may be listening, and you may go, no, like it was fallen angels. I don't believe the ruler thing, and that's fine. I'm just, I'm offering a different way to think about it, and trying to 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 tie some things together scripturally. You know, tie them, tie some themes together, some themes together. That's hard to say. I'm sorry. So what we have here, then, you know, you can go the fallen angel route, and and that that answers some questions. But it also creates a lot of questions, just as this solution 
answers some question, but it also creates a lot of questions. And that's the beautiful thing about Scripture, as long as we can have respectful debate and share information. Uh, and so what we have is these corrupt rulers, right, that end up bringing consequence on, uh, on the people and on the earth. Now, let's go back to Parsha Shelach Lecha, where you have these princes, right, that are coming and they're giving a bad report of the land. Now, how do these things connect? Well, number one, they're princes, right, just like we had rulers of men. They're, you know, you could call them B'nai Elohim. And then also, what are they giving a bad report about? They're giving a bad report about the land of Israel. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, if you might, you might be tempted to say, well, like, if I didn't have a biblical tie to this place, I'd kind of go like, what's the point, right? Um, Israel is amazing and miraculous, and I love, my heart is in Israel. You know, I love the land. I love the people. So understand what I'm saying in that context, that you stand in it, and it's just like, it's a lot of rocks and sand, and in the summer, it's stupid hot. And uh, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, okay, you guys are fighting over this. So the 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 idea that the, it's this is not just a piece of land this is not just a patch of dirt this is not just some rocky hills you know and and the wadi and and whatever and one little sad river called the jordan that runs through it like this is not just a a piece of land this is more than it being a a a, a land grant a, a blessing of land to the nation of israel as as god's firstborn it is the place that he set aside it is the place that he chose, that he said he would make his name to dwell forever. So in that moment, it becomes sacred. It becomes holy. It becomes sacred space. And the spies giving a negative report of the land is the same thing as us speaking ill of the tabernacle or the temple. And that's something we should never do, not because we want to go offer sacrifices maybe or not because of we have any, you know, even if you don't have any affection toward the temple, like I do, even if that is not your thing and you don't care about the temple, you don't care, you know, you're against the third temple being built, whatever your stance may be. The reason we should not speak against the temple is because God himself said that's where he would place his name. That makes it off limits to any of our scrutiny, scrutiny, scrutiny. And so I don't care what we think about the temple or the building or the not building or the, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Scripture says God was going to place his name in the tabernacle and God was going to place his name forever in Jerusalem. And so we are not to speak against those places because they are holy. And in the same way, the spies are speaking against the land. It is God's sacred space. It's a smaller, um, it's a smaller, uh, example of the whole earth, right? So these things fold in on themselves. So let's get to Parshat Korak. So who do we have in Parshat Korak? And and this is, again, to me it fits. So I, I want to make sure that we, we tie these things together. So chapter 16 of Amibar, this is beginning of Parshat Korak. Korak, son of Izar, son of Kohat, son of Levi, separated himself with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elab, and On, son of Pelet, the offspring of Ruvain. So, let's just let's just understand who we're talking about, right? So, Korach, of course, is a son of Levi. He's a Levite, right? He's one of the Leviim. He is one who serves in the tabernacle. As a matter of fact, he is one of the highest-ranking Levites that there are. 
and he, the, his family and his, his part of the tribe, they deal with the holy things, right? They deal with the menorah and moving the, the lechem hapanim and the, the table and the, and the incense altar. And all. That's their job. That's what they do, right? He is, uh, it says he is the son of Kohat. So the Kohat, 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 Thites, excuse me. If we read back into uh, the book of uh, Vaikra uh, and Shemot, we understand that the Kohathites, Kohathites are one of the the Gergenites, Kohathites, and um, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the last uh, Mem- Memorites. Anyway, they are the three families that are are over moving the temp- tabernacle, making sure that it, it, it's done correctly. Right. So he is right there. I mean, he's he's right up in the midst of everything. Right. And so it says that, uh, verse 2, they stood before Moshe with 250 men from the children of Israel, listen to this, leaders of the assembly, those summoned for meeting, men of renown. Oh, holy cow. Okay, so it seems like um, this, it seems like the text is really, really wanting us to to make a connection back to Bereshit, back to Genesis, right? And the sons of Elohim. See how this connects so incredibly? Now, the question is, and let me just make a, let me, I'm going to put my text down for a minute because I want to, I want to talk about some things that we've talked about before. If you have not uh, followed and gone through our Genesis series yet, I really encourage you to take some time and listen through the Genesis series. I don't even know how many videos there are or how many, you know, podcast thing or whatever, how many recordings there are. But I would really encourage you to do that. Also, if you have not listened to the Bema podcast, I've talked about it before, Marty Solomon, um, and and they do an incredibly good job. Um and and so what we have to what we have to keep in mind, one of the facets and layers of the biblical story is God, who is in the heavens, created an earth and populated it with people to be his children, his creation, to be his partners and managing creation and showing his image, bearing his image in the earth. That is, that is day one, step one, pre-creation in the mind of God. That is what God's, you know, that's what God's plan is. And God raises up and chooses and and leaders raise up and they are even more responsible than the everyday, you know, the everyday human. They are even more responsible to model God's character. This is God's government. This is the way that God governs the earth. Uh, a great podcast done by two of my good friends, uh, Dina Dye and Jeff Morton, called Back to Eden. They talk about this governmental structure, and we don't think about the kingdom in governmental terms, right? We think about the kingdom in spiritual terms or religious terms, but the kingdom is governmental. And so you have Hashem, and then you have delegated leadership, and and that leadership is responsible to bear God's image on the people to care, to, 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 to do all the things for the people, like we said, the kings earlier, that God is, is, is doing for us, right? They are the real life hands and feet of God for us, are supposed to be. So we, so we see how this government 
when it's taken out of the image-bearing occupation, how government gets corrupted so quickly and is so nasty and, and just ugh, right? Because it's being perverted because it is a responsibility of government officials, and I'm talking about real government officials, council, council persons, uh, mayors, governors, senators, you know, representatives, presidents, whatever. It is their God-given responsibility and office to care for the people as God would care for them or as God does care for them. When that, that, that occupational understanding gets detached, then you're no, long, you're no longer representing the kingdom of heaven. It is still the kingdom of God because all kingdoms fall under God's auspices, but it has been perverted, right? Just like the spies were still a part of, Egypt, of Israel, but they had broken away from the, the report that, that the, the children needed to hear and that God had already spoken. It's already good. You already got it, right? Still a part of the congregation, still a part of the leadership, but in a different, a different attitude and different sense. Here in Korok, it's the same thing. Korok is, like I said, up there right with the, you know, he's one of the leading Levites. He's right up there serving right alongside Moshe and Aaron. And he gets mad. Man's, th- this, this whole thing is about God taking care of humanity through leadership and through, through the people that he's elevated, so to speak, that he's, he's assigned, he's anointed, he's messiahed, right, um, to, to in order to take care of the people. So, so this, and when that changes, it becomes abuse and it becomes oppressive, so Korah goes on to say in verse three, or it goes, so these men of renown, right? Holy cow. I know I'm jumping around, but I got so much to say. I'm excited. So verse three, they gathered together against motion against Aaron and said to them, it's too much for you for the entire assembly. All of them are holy as Hashem is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves over the congregation of Hashem? And Moshe heard and fell on his face and he spoke to Korah, et cetera, et cetera. So, whew. There's a theme that runs through scripture that I think I've mentioned before. I think we've talked about before, but if we hadn't, this would be a great place to do it. And, and there's, there's so many things that I am healing from personally, and I think it's important for me to talk about that, uh, that I'm healing from as I study the Torah, as I study the language, culture, context uh, of this, this ancient you know, people and, and their, the way that they saw God and, and all these things. I I am very much a, a pleaser. I'm very much an approval addict, uh, or have been. Um, very much insecure. I, I mean, just you know, my my complex is so big it's a duplex. That kind of thing, right? Um, and I know I'm talking to some people who understand this. And so my my whole Christian life, my whole faith life, it's always felt like I had this magnifying glass on me, like God's watching you. Right, God's watching, and if you mess up, it's going to destroy God's plan for your life, and therefore it's going to create a ripple effect. And the people that you were supposed to touch, it's going to destroy God's plan for you know. And it's like, and then the the church, all being all albeit well meaning, um, you know, reinforces some of this stuff. And this the pressure is unbelievable. But here's what I realize about Scripture. Look at it from Bereshit, from the beginning, through the Torah which we've just read three different accounts. And of course, Korach gets swallowed up, by the way, and his cons- conspirators. Then let's go to the prophets. Then let's go to the gospels. How, and then let's, and then the book of Revelation for that matter. 
who is the focus on when God is correcting and and you know and, and trying to guide humanity? Who is he constantly talking to? He is constantly addressing the leaders, the princes, the priests, the kings, the prophets, constantly, constantly, constantly. The prophets never go, well, you know what? Israel would be in better shape if, uh, you know, if little grandma over here who's making challah with the little idol up on her mantelpiece would, would get rid of that idol. She's the, it's people like her. No, what do the prophets say? You rulers that have led the people into idolatry, right? The, the thing about Rabbi Yochai, uh, Bar Yochai in, the, in the, uh, Genesis Rabbah, it, he talks about this idea that if, if, if society begins to crumble due to just the people's lack of morality, that can be resolved. But if a, peop, if a people are ruled by leaders whose morality leads the people or, or lack of morality leads the people astray, then the leaders have to be removed and you have to start over. That was, that was his understanding, you know, 2000 years ago. And so I think it's super interesting. Let's talk about the, the prophets, right? Let's talk about the gospels. Who, how many times do you, does Yeshua call out an Israelite and go like, you know what? God's plan for Israel would be fulfilled if you'd get your life together. Right? It doesn't happen unless first he's challenged. Other than that, it doesn't happen, right? What, who is Yeshua's most beef with? Who is he constantly interacting with? The leadership. Guys, it is unbelievably important. By the time you hear this, it's a week now almost that the decision, or a few days since the decision on Roe versus Wade came out. Listen, it's so important that we pray for our leaders, that we encourage our leaders, that some of you that you may feel this burden, you get into leadership yourself. And in this, this strain that runs through scripture, this thread is incredibly powerful and something that I hope now you begin to see as you read. Go back through and read these stories a little more carefully and pick out this thread. I think it's fantastic and I think it'll really, really add to your study. So I love you guys. Thank you for joining me and being with me. Until next week, have a great one. Shalom, shalom. 